Welcome to the AR-15 Podcast. AR-15 Podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you if you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years. There is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. Well, welcome to episode number 183 of the AR-15 Podcast. Uh, tonight on this episode, we're going to be talking with Jimmy Leslie from JL Billet. Jimmy, thanks for joining us. Not a problem. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, we also have Chris uh, on tonight with us. JD is uh, taking a little break, and uh, Anthony is uh, on a break. So uh, apparently they've decided to let Grandpa back onto the ground so that he can take care of business and school the young ones. But um, uh, I want to go ahead and let you know that we have a new uh, main topic sponsor and our thanks go out to JWB Military and Brass for sponsoring tonight's main topic. So go to jwbmilitary.com and use promo code ARP10 for 10% off of quality once-fired military reloading brass, AR-500 steel targets, and more. So JWB Military and Brass, thank you for your sponsorship. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's main topic is a discussion of uh, J.L. Billet and uh, Jimmy Leslie's, uh, I guess, his origin story, trying to bring this company on board and uh, the kind of traction they're getting here with uh, some pretty innovative designs. And uh, we'll just kind of dive right in, Jimmy, and uh, tell me, what is it that you do at J.L. Billet? So at JL Billet, we, uh, we have our own product line of, uh, you know, AR15, 308, uh, products. And we have some unique proprietary designs, uh, that are exclusive to our brand. Uh, we also do OEM manufacturing for companies as well. Uh, I, I, I won't name those just out of, uh, you know, uh, pro- proper etiquette. But so we do hand guards, uppers, lowers, uh, billet butt stocks. Uh, muzzle brakes and all I've designed pretty much everything that we sell. Um, you know, we try to go after a higher end market and quality is our number one, uh, standpoint with a company. You know, if there's ever a problem with any of our products, we always replace it or take care of the customer. So, well, tell me, uh, tell me about the history of your company. We kind of touched base on this when we first started talking this evening, but, um, why don't you go back to the beginning and tell me, um, Basically, how you uh, came to be where we are today. Sure. Uh, my, my history is uh, I had a military background. I was in the Marine Corps for five years, uh, which gave me, you know, fundamental knowledge of firearms and uh, shooting. And, you know, that that always stuck with me. I, I didn't ever really intend to be in the firearms industry. It wasn't something that I sought after. It was actually happened out of necessity. Uh, I'm sure everyone that's been in the industry for a while remembers the Sandy Hook thing and how it just completely turned the country upside down. Uh, I had a lot of people coming to me asking me to make them parts, make me this. I, you know, I had just gotten into CNC work, uh, back in 2012. I started my CNC company and, you know, that all that stuff happened. And then I, out of necessity, I, I designed my own lower AR 15 lower started producing those and uh it was that you know the 80 percents because that was when that really started getting going and then one thing after another i just kept designing and developing more products now we have you know pretty much a full line and we're you know again we're, we're always adding more stuff to it 
Uh, so, you know, that's kind of the history. And, you know, jail billet brand started beginning in 2013. Uh, so it's, things have happened fast and, and we're, again, we're constantly, you know, developing more product and just growing the brand. Tell me, um, what was it like really kind of putting your, your feet into the, the fire coming in on the, the heels of that kind of a uh, industry turmoil, uh, did you find that kind of a, a difficult challenge? Yeah, you know, it, 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 it was, it definitely was. And it was a very, uh, uneasy feeling because, because I didn't know the, in, the industry, uh, very well at all. I know it a lot better now, but it, you know, it's really easy to sell product when everybody's buying, you know, uh, I, I saw a lot of companies come and go, um, and what I always stood by was I'm going to put out a quality product. I want it to look good. And I want to make sure that the, uh, the customers like what they're buying. They're happy with it. And that's kind of what I've stuck with. And I, again, I've seen companies come and go and I've just kind of stuck to my guns and, you know, there's ups and downs, but if, if you, if you stand by your product, you have a good looking product, people will come back to you. So when you first started out, you mentioned some of your OEM work. Were you doing mostly things for yourself and then the OEM guys were drawn to you because of uh, what they saw or had you won over the OEM side and brought in your own line kind of in a parallel effort? Well, it was actually the first, the first uh, situation that you brought up. I, I started developing the product. And then out of, I would say out of nowhere, but you know, then these companies start to take notice, you know, different people that want, you know, different things. And then that's how the OEM started to develop. And what the OEM does is it helps, you know, helps keep us rolling while we develop more product or refine our, our processes. And, um, you know, once people see the quality, they know the quality they're going to get, they come to us. And, you know, the, if they're looking for the cheapest, you know, rock bottom price on, on parts and in, in production, we're not the place because, you know, we just have a different level of, uh, of expectations out of our product that we make for ourselves and what we produce for other companies. So in terms of your product line, how has that developed? I mean, where did you start off with? I, I, and, and, you know, I think that I'm, I'm really kind of trying to delve into the, the, what we've seen with other companies where they, they come in with like one small thing to kind of test right. the waters and then they add like right. another step and there's this escalation of involvement. Where were you in that kind of idea? Yeah. So I, I've seen a lot of companies though, they're rifle build, rifle builders that, so, you know, they, they they build guns, but then you look at their guns and I can pick it apart and say, Oh, this guy made this and this guy made that. Oh, and then, you know, they bought this from that guy. Uh, we're the opposite of that. We are, we, we just now started building four rifles. We were a parts and accessories company at first. We started with lowers, went into uppers, then went into handguards. Then we refined our uppers in, in our handguards. We do muscle brakes that match the handguards that are actually really technical pieces when you, when you actually look at them. They're not just a muzzle brake. Our VPR, uh, the way I designed it was to, to expand the gases as they come out, it changes angles. So at the closest to the handguard, uh, there's a, a, a bigger taper with the gases shooting backwards than, than there is towards the front. Right. And then we added port ga- gas holes on the top, which help 
stabilize the muzzle, reduces the recoil. You know, when people first look at it, they're like, oh, that looks cool. But when you really look into it, that's when it, you know, then you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. And that's what we like to do with a lot of our products. We like people to really look at them. They look at them online. They go, oh, that looks cool. I'll buy it. It's expensive, but I'll buy it. Then they get it in their hands and they look at every little detail in it. And they're like, wow, I am extremely happy with my purchase. So as far as um, from just a a paper drawing to actually milling aluminum what uh what kind of time frame do you look at um with something like that you know it, it just depends on how much time i have on my hands and how how I, how I can really dedicate the time to it the butt stocks our mbs our modular bill uh stock uh that was that was about a nine month you know prototyping you know, testing things, you know, refining them. And, and we're just now we've had three or four iterations of, of, of the, the buttstock. And we're just now to the point where I'm like, you know what? That is a solid piece. I'm, I'm actually happy with it. And I'm never happy. And that's, I think that's what helps drive me is I always drive, strive for perfection. You know, you have to do that if you want to be successful. At least I think so. So, so- it, it, it does take some time. Tell me about the process. I think we kind of delved into it. So in terms okay. of your background, do you are you a machinist first or do you have a design background first? Um, where's the origin of your idea? Is it in your understanding of the process and the material or in the understanding of the design component? Um, I, you know, I can't pinpoint what came you know what came first uh the cnc knowledge is what i sought after uh and then i it just kind of happened that i i was very creative i realized i was very creative with doing things and and then you you, you know you keep learning more and more uh till the point you where you eventually start becoming confident in your abilities so i guess what happens is when i go to design something i look at what's out there I, I look at the things that I like of the product and then I try to not, I don't want to ever copy somebody's work, but I'll use that as influence. And then I go into the function, the form, making, making it all tie together and, uh, and, and then going over it and over it and looking at it in different angles and just making sure that you're finally happy with it. You know, I've, I've had people say your stuff's like a work of art, whether they're, that's just their opinion or not. I, I take it as a compliment, you right. know. So tell me in that process, how much time do you feel you put into the function of what you're trying to arrive at? And how much do you feel is the design component driving that? I mean, certainly the aesthetic is, I think, in some minds – the important piece, but obviously, uh, performance where you can eke performance out, um, can sometimes mean the difference between a product that's going to sell or not. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, functionality, it, it again is to me is, is one of the key aspects of having a successful product. But even if you have a, a, a very functional product and it doesn't look good, people aren't really going to want to buy it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's a very tough thing to, you know, the, as far as time, uh, what I like to do is I like to look at something that I want to make. I will kind of sketch it out, lay it out, figure out if it'll function. 
Okay, it will function. Now I don't like the way that looks. So then I'll, I'll massage it while maintaining the function. Um, and you know, some people might not go in as, into as much depth with a product as I do. Um, you know, cause the stuff's already out there. You know, it's not like you're, you know, inventing the wheel again. Uh, you're basically just trying to make some things better and, you know, more functional or, or even just look better. So that's, that's how, kind of how I approach it. So in terms of the product line as it stands today, uh, would you characterize yourself still as a parts manufacturer or do you think you kind of crossed that line into a firearms manufacturer or are you still kind of dipping your toe into that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I would be confident in saying that we're still a parts manufacturer. You know, I don't want to say, oh, yeah, we build the best firearms out there. Um, we're getting into that and that's one of those things and that I, I don't want to release product until I know that it's rock solid hundred percent, you know, that way I can stand behind it. You know, of course, do we have problems with some of our stuff? Absolutely. Everybody does. It's, it's manufacturing. It happens, but you, you have to go into it and trying to minimize, you know, issues that customers are going to have. And then, and then if they do have them, you got to stand behind your product. You have to, you know, some companies out there are like, well, sorry, it is what it is, you know. Right. We're not like that. We're not that type of company. So when it comes down to the idea of becoming a firearms manufacturer, I mean, when you manufacture lowers, you've kind of crossed into that idea that now you're going to have to start serializing, complying with right. some complex regulations and, and, you know, dealing with your occupation taxes and, you know, the, sure. the whole array of complexity was that's something that you were into very early in the company's development or did you kind of ease up to that point? No, no, not at all. I, 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 you know, put it off as long as possible really. And it just got to the point where it's, it was the next step, you know, it's, it's the next step. You know, we made 80% lowers and matched uppers and hand guards and we are basically making all these parts and people are putting them together. And, and if they're using, you know, you know, a subpar, you know, parts in them, then it kind of makes us look bad. So I'd rather go out there. If we're going to put our logo on the side of a rifle, I want, I want it to be rock solid, you know? So it, it's, it's, it was a big step, you know, just to, from making parts and not having to deal with the ATF. To now we're having to deal with, like, like you said, all the regulations, everything else. And then it's a whole different ball game. You're spending a lot more money to, to get your product out there. So it's, it's going to, it's, it's a challenge. Well, tell me that, that process when it, when it came. Was it, was it easy or were you, are, are you the sort of business owner that was kind of going round and round about, you know, all of the implications and, and everything that that was going to lead you to? Um, can you describe that kind of moment in time for me? Sure. Um, you know, it, it, <laughs> funny enough, it was kind of driven by one of my employees. He just, kept pushing it and pushing it. And I just, I, I, I still, you know, to this day, I'm like, I, you know, I, I'm, I've almost refused to accept the fact that I'm a firearms manufacturer, although I am. Um, but it, it's, it's definitely one of those things where you got to be ready for it. You got to go, you got to go all in uh, if you want to succeed and you want to last in the industry, because again, we're, we don't build rifles with other people's parts. We build rifles with our parts, right. you know, and that's, and that to me, like makes us feel more unique than a lot of other companies out there. So 
looking back, was it as big a deal as you thought it was before you started? Or is it no, every bit no, is- I, I, I'm one of those super analytical people that I always try to run everything, everything through. Um, so what, I mean, it, it, it wasn't as big a deal. There were more hurdles in place than I had originally anticipated. Um, from location to, uh, just getting things set up and organized and, and making sure everything flows properly. And we're still not to where I want to be, uh, but we're getting there. So I, Tell me, uh, how big is jail billet right now? Um, we're, we're still pretty small, honestly. Uh, we, like, you know, as far as the brand goes, we're, we're small. We're, you know, we, I don't know how many dealers we have, what our network set up. And we sell, you know, across the United States where we don't do anything international. We've done some stuff here and there, but not, you know, we don't have any solid international sales. So we're not super large, you know, we're kind of a smaller niche type company. But we are doing a lot of OEM manufacturing for some other bigger, bigger names in the industry. Well, you know, I would, I would almost say that there's some modesty there because, uh, in looking at your website, uh, there's not a whole lot of your stuff that's easy to get because it just seems to fly off the shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, what is it, <laughs> what's it like having to deal with the, the, that kind of demand and, and, uh, feeling the pressures to, yeah, you know, try to keep up with. Well, it, you know, it, there's there's two sides to that sword. There's one side where, you know, you, you want to make as much product as possible to to sell to people, but then there's the other side where you're like, what if I quit selling? What if people quit buying our stuff? You know, mm-hmm. what if they don't like it anymore? Um, it, it, and it that to me is the hardest thing to balance because I'm constantly going back and forth about that. You know, I, I don't I don't know how to fail. And I think that's, it scares me a lot to, to go over the top and, and try to go, you know, nationwide, uh, you know, household, you know, name, jail billet, and then not be able to, to fulfill the orders or the flip side, you, you go for it and then, you know, you can't sell your product anymore. Right. So it's, 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 it's a tough, it's a tough thing, you know, it's finding that balance. So in terms of, of where you stand today, um, would you say that the, the largest part of your operation is uh, on the OEM side or devoted to your own brand? Uh, right now, as far as sales go, uh, you know, our, our revenue, internal revenue, it, it's we actually have more OEM business. Um, and that's on purpose. You know, that's because we do some OEM work. Um well, not some. We do a lot of OEM work for high volume customers, whereas our stuff is lower volume, but it costs more. And it's it's always all our all the stuff that says jail billet on it is just a touch nicer right. than anybody else's stuff that we make. And it's not that we're putting out bad quality; it's we're putting in the extra little details with our stuff that we don't have to necessarily do with somebody else's. Well, and there's I guess always that distinction: if you're giving mm-hmm. them what they want. Right. Then you're doing what you're asked to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I get the sense from the way you describe that as the, the OEM is the bread and butter. Mm-hmm. It, it's the, the part that right. just kind of keeps rolling in the steady ways. That's the reliable part. Whereas the, the, the branded custom JL component is where you're you're pushing the envelope and of course pushing the envelope has some risk 
but you've it seems you've tempered it to a degree right. with having maintained right. some consistent OEM work. Is that a fair assessment, you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do have some really unique stuff. Like our, our contrast cut handguards and buttstocks, and we even do them in small runs with uh, uppers and lowers. Um, and now let me explain what the contrast cut is. Basically what we do is we'll – because we have an all-aluminum buttstock, the, the uh, MBS um, – and what we'll do is we'll anodize it. We'll bring it back in and then put it back in the machine and cut some features on the stock, cut the anodizing off so that the aluminum shines through. Um, we do also do that with the handguards and it, it really pops. It, it's, it's a showstopper for people. And it's, and it's not, we didn't invent that. It really started in the motorcycle industry and a lot of people were doing it with motorcycle parts. And that's kind of where, you know, I'm not going to say, Oh, I, I created it. I, I got influenced from the motorcycle industry and I just pushed it into the, the firearm industry and nobody else is doing it. You know, we're, we're the only one and I don't want other people to do it, you know, and they probably won't because it's hard. It's to do it and do it proper. It is it, it is hard. You know, it's challenging. Tell me where else do you guys draw inspiration? Um, you know, honestly, from the, the aviation industry, I, I like to, I like to look at that stuff and, and try to pull some influence from that. And, and even nature that I see. And that was kind of the influence of, uh, our MLA handguard. Um, I, the, the triangular shape and then I like the curved front and I kind of made the curved front blend with the triangle. And it just, it all just flows really nice. And it also at the same time creates a really strong structure of a handguard. And everyone's like, oh, that looks flimsy. And they grab it and they're like, wow, this thing's really solid, really rigid. And it's lightweight. So do you think that there's much in the way of inspiration that's left to be drawn from other places? Absolutely. And so is that something that you strive for or is that something that you wait to to reach you uh, for the, for that moment of inspiration and just cross your path. It, it, that's a great point. Um, it, it's one of those things, you know. It kind of comes and goes. You know, you, like you, if you go looking for it, you're not going to find it. But you have to be open for it to come to you and to realize it and see it. So, you know, I've had I've had these other influences in and I and I try to I try to you know. To, design something off of it. And then if I'm not in the right state of mind, it just doesn't come out. You know, I, I just, I have like, I don't know, a designer block or something where I can't get what I, what I really want, uh, you know, in, into the CAD system. So it's, it's, it, again, it's challenging. You have to be in the right mindset. So do you have other designers that help you? Is there like a design team that assists or is it, is it just you? Mostly me. I mean, I, I do uh, consult with, you know, my employees and stuff like that and, and get, you know, their take on things. But I'm not going to just go, OK, hey, go design this for me and then we're going to mach- machine it and sell it under jail billet brand. I it To me, if as the designer and as, you know, the founder of the company, if I don't have 75 percent or more of the influence of the design, then it, you know, I shouldn't be branding it as my own. Have, have you ever had... um any experience with something that, that you thought you'd planned out really well, you uh, you really liked it, and then when it actually came out of the machine, it was not quite uh, what you had imagined? Yeah, it, it, I, I absolutely. 
you know, you, and that's why you, you try to you, you try to go through as much as possible because it's you, you'll end up losing a lot of time and money if you you start making something and you're like, oh, this is terrible. You know, I, again, like our our buttstock, we've we've had several iterations of it. You know, the first one I had that I prototyped and made, it was it was uh, <laughs> I still have the thing, and it's it, you know you compare it to the one now, and you're like, oh wow, that one's a piece of junk. You know. <laughs> So it it just it, it does happen. It absolutely does happen. You, you know, 3D printing actually helps out now. Now, if it's like smaller parts, I'll 3D print them, and then I'll get a conceptual idea of what it looks like and how it feels and how it you know the form of it, um, and then we can make changes. So, in terms of that, how many times have you had exactly what you wanted in terms of that feel, but then put it into practice, and you're like, this is not doing anything like what I need it to do. It's been very few times, um, it, it, because it's usually you end up refining it. You're, uh, you know, my first, when I first started doing handguards, I was using a, somebody else's extrusion that I didn't design the, the actual shape of the extrusion. I was never happy with it. So I ended up going back to the drawing board, designing my own extrusion, my own attaching system, everything. And then I was able to refine, you know, what I had already kind of done and then made it better, more ergonomic, and, and just, to me, all around a, a superior product to what I had produced before. So tell me, what is it like when you're the, the design focus on a new product and you're having to incorporate somebody else's idea like MLOC or KeyMod? Does that present a challenge or is that sure. easy to incorporate? No, I mean, the, you know, the MLOC... So we used to do MLOC and key mod handguards and I, nothing against the key mod. It's a, it's a pretty good mounting system. Aesthetically, I, I don't like it at all. Aesthetics is, to me, it looks like a piece of shelving furniture. You know, the MLOC, it, it, and honestly, I was, we were making both the MLOC and the key mod handguards and people are probably going to, the key mod diehards out there are probably going to hate me for this, but, uh, the MLOC came out and I was selling twice as many MLOC handguards as I was key mod. So I just ended up dropping the key mod from our line. Can I make them? Yeah, we can still make them and they'll sell. They're just probably not going to sell the, the same amount of volume. So that, that was kind of one of those decisions there, you know, and then, okay. So going back to the buttstock, the main reason I came out with the buttstock was I, I wanted an aluminum stock and I wanted something that looked cool and, and, you know, a little, futuristic and just more advanced and it was all this plastic stuff out there and it's just i just i thought there was a need for it you know and our our bus is really expensive but it's really nice and it's billet aluminum it's you know precision machine so to me it's worth it you know and the other customers that are happy about it it's worth it some people will never ever buy it because they can go buy a 60 dollar plastic stock you know yeah well, so let's talk about what's going on in the company right now. Um, so you have a pretty broad range of um, uh, rifle components. Um, you've got uh, receivers, handguards, buttstocks, muzzle devices. Um, when it comes down to what's going – oh, and, and you have a 308 and AR, don't you? Correct. So uh, – in in terms of of what you have kind of in your product lineup right now what are the things that you're most excited about um right now i mean our handguards you know i still stand behind them you know we get nothing but 
rave reviews on our handguards. Uh, I, I, I'm finally happy with the butt stock, you know, how, how it's coming together now and the, the, the fit, the function, everything. Uh, we're actually developing another minimalist style aluminum stock that'll be out here pretty soon. And then I have just received a patent back on, uh, our heated grip. So we're going to start. We don't know where we're going with that one just yet, but we have a, I have a patent on a, uh, it's, you know, for somebody in a hot environment, it doesn't make any sense. But in the way I, I came up with the idea was, um, I was in Iraq and I was a gunner on a, uh, MD 530s and I was freezing, completely freezing. And I remember thinking, if I have to open fire right now, my, I'm not going to be able to shoot for anything because my hand is so cold and stiff and I have no dexterity in my finger. And I just remember, man, I wish this grip was heated. And I, and then the, the light bulb went on. So I did some developing and I did some prototyping and in, you know, we finally came out with something that, you know, you know, some, again, I'm not a grip manufacturer. I don't, we don't do, you know, injection molding other than some components for our, our stocks. So it's not something that I want to really get into. So I'm more looking at licensing it, you know, to some of the bigger players in the industry. Yeah. Believe it or not. Uh, I was, I was in Iraq as well, uh, in the winter and you, uh, if you're without your cold gear, then you are a very <laughs> unhappy person. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's, that's why some people like, people are like, you're cold in Iraq. I'm like, yeah, trust me. It gets cold. It gets <laughs> really cold. Yeah. The comfort items come into play. So, yeah. so in terms of the focus right now in the industry, do you think there's more of a draw towards AR or the 308 side of things? You know, the, the 308 has grown quite a bit in the last, I would say last two years. It was, um, it wasn't as relevant uh, in my opinion in, you know, who am I? I'm nobody, but, uh, it wasn't as relevant two years ago. Now, now I think what it is, they're looking for that next thing. You know, now, you know, we're developing a nine mil setup as well, because that seems to be, you know, what people want. I've had a lot of people request it. Um, you know, that's another up and coming thing as well. But I, I do think that the 308 has gained a lot of traction. Are so. you, are you specifically, um, on just 308s? Are you exploring some of the, just the big caliber, uh, like Creedmoor and those kind of right. things? 270? Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at doing the Creedmoor. Um, and again, it, we have so many things going on and, uh, it's just, finding the time to get it all done and developed and designed and making sure that it's, it's done proper. I mean, again, with the OEM manufacturing we have going on, we have a lot of, uh, we do a lot of variance work for companies as well. Um, so we're trying to not push our stuff to the side too much, but we also like to keep, you know, our customers happy as well. So at what point do you have the freedom as, uh, a designer and manufacturer to break the mold, you know, and, and for example, you know, some of these, um, uh, kind of custom, uh, AR style rifles and, uh, you know, like the 300 wind mag and, and, right. and calibers that really are beyond the current, uh, capabilities of the modular, you know, AR, 10 AR 308 and the AR 15s. Is, is there 
in your mind a place where you can go and create something in that space? Or is that ability to design and manufacture limited in some way? No, I mean, it, it, to me, it's all about the market and, and being able, you know, trust me, I'd love to sit back and, and do nothing but design my own cool stuff and, and not really have to worry about selling it. But at the end of the day, you know, we do have to pay bills and, you know, machines aren't cheap. Uh, so I have to also look at that aspect of running the business. Um, building my goal is obviously to build the brand to where, we can do that. We can come out with something new and it's like, Oh, did you see the, the new jail billet wind mag is, is coming out next month. It looks badass, you know, something, something to that effect. And we're just not there yet. In my opinion, we're not, we're, I'm not there yet. You so know, I'm, I'm working to get there. Is that something that is kind of a, a constant voice in the back of your head? Um, the, the voice that says you have to kind of stay in the box. You can, go a little bit outside of it, but this is where the business is. This is where the market is. This is where the demand is. So, you know, you, you can't make things that are so far out of it that you'll, like you said, be designing all day for things that nobody will buy. I mean, is that a constant right. voice? It, you know, as a smart businessman, it, you have to have that voice. You know, until you have, until you can sustain with your other products to that, if you do come out with something, you spend this time developing, designing and getting something ready for the market and then it, it goes flop, it doesn't kill you, you know, and we're getting there. We're definitely getting there. Um, again, I, <laughs> I'm so busy programming, designing, you know, running this business that my designing time has been cut very limited, you know, and it, it, I, I'm trying to get that balance back where I can spend a lot of time designing, developing more stuff because you have to, you got to keep evolving. In my opinion, you know, if you keep building the same old mundane stuff over and over again, you know, you're going to get left behind because th this industry is starting to move really fast and there's right. a lot of new cool stuff coming out. Well, tell me, when are you going to have to either give up designing so you can run the business or give up running the business so you can design? Very have you, soon. <laughs> have you looked seriously at that moment where you have yeah. to bring in the plant facilities managers that'll take the day to day right. and run things to the degree yeah. of, of your satisfaction while you focus on the things that got you started on? Absolutely. I'm, that's what I'm looking for right now. So if there's anybody out there that has, has their stuff together, uh, drop me an email, shoot me a resume because uh, I am definitely looking for that. Um, it's, uh, I mean, you know, again, my employees do a great job, but I need somebody else that's in there, uh, you know, close to my caliber, uh, that can take a lot of the burden off of me for, for the programming of the machines and kind of running everything. Uh, so I can spend my time focused on designing and, and, and R and D basically. And tell me, where are you located? Uh, so we, we have a small place in Florida and, uh, our main location is in San Diego, California. San Diego. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's what everybody says. You can't sell guns in California. So uh, what is it like being in California in terms of your main facilities? Would you say that it's, it's just another aspect of business or is there something unique in it that kind of, uh, 
instructs your thinking of where you're headed? You know, I, Cal, obviously California has these crazy laws and, you know, they, they really try to constrain the gun industry. I don't look at that. I, I don't, I look at the big picture because my, my market isn't in California only. It is, you know, nationwide. Now, a large percentage of our sales do go to California just because we have that reach, but we also have, you know, our fingers throughout the U.S. So that's the way I have to, you have to look at it in the big picture. You can't get pigeonholed into, oh, well, I can't do this. I can't do that because the local law says this, you know, you're, you're an 07 FFL manufacturer. You can make rifles. Now, if you're going to sell them in California, they have to be California compliant. So right. it's just another one of those things you got to deal with. So as far as time devotion, do you do um, more time in California, more time in Florida? I'm, I'm predominantly in California, um, you know, just because that's where I live. That's where my home's at. So, um, it, and I, I just love being here. Honestly, I, you know, I don't love, I don't love the politics here, but, um, the weather, you can't beat it. Uh, you know, I mean, it rained today and it's the first time it's rained in months, which I wish it rained more, but you know, <laughs> you can't complain. Well, you know, I, I can offer up a contrast and tell you that Texas is a nice place to be by, by comparison. Yeah, that's what I've been here. I've, 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 I've spent a little bit of time there. It's the humidity is what gets me, you know, growing up in Florida. Uh, I don't, I don't miss that humidity living well, in it anyway. You got to stay away from Houston. You got to move a little further north. There's not quite so much humidity north. Okay. Now, if you I'll to go to that. West Texas, it's just a big desert. So I wouldn't suggest that. Right. Okay. So, um, tell me, what do you think the future looks like? You know, for JL Billet, are you, are you thinking at, you know, the 35,000 foot view of, of anything in particular? Are you going to become the next Remington? Do you think you're going to become, you know, the, you know, custom, uh, manufacturer with the, the cachet of, of that design that, uh, helped you get your exposure, just kind of driving what you're doing? Where, where do you see yourself taking JL Billet? Uh, ultimately, you know, my goals are to keep up the OEM manufacturing side of things and keep the JL billet. I obviously, I want to expand the brand and I want to keep it, uh, I want to keep the, the image that people have of the brand to, uh, at a high standard, high quality. Um, and I don't, I, I don't want to be one of those guys that are selling their parts to everybody in, in, across America. I want it to be a little bit more of an exclusive type brand, you know, that people are proud to have it, you know, and I want the designs to kind of stand behind that as well so that they're, they're different than everything else that's out there. But also, you know, they're, they're nice and people like it, you know, while it's one of those things what I'd like to have is to be kind of this giant OEM manufacturer but behind the scenes, the people that really know that, you know, they, they see the jail built and they're like, Oh, well, that guy makes parts for this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. His stuff is, you know, kind of exclusive. Well, and I know that, um, you know, there's as far as industry wide, it's there, there's a lot of hidden manufacturers that, that do exactly what you do and, and manufacture parts under, you know, 40 some odd different names and, you know, they're nobody right. ever knows who they are, but but right, um, absolutely. And and then you'll have people that'll argue, 
argue the fact that, oh, well, that's a such and such lower. It's mm-hmm. better than that one. And why is it better? Oh, because it's such and such. Not knowing that it's the same exact thing with a different logo on it, you know, because that, that definitely happens. But again, that's why when we manufacture the stuff that's branded to JL Billet, it's just a touch nicer. You know, it is just a, you know, we, the chant, we add a little bit of extra chamfers on an edge or, you know, just there's extra little details in it. Yeah, and, and as far as if you're if you're really going for the forgings, there's what three different forging companies out there. So, yeah, yeah, there's there's uh, that's a there's actually a shortage right now in the industry for forgings. Um, I wouldn't say a shortage, but there's long lead times for them. Uh, we'll just say that. So, yeah, it's again, you know, how many how many different forged receiver sets can be out there and. How much more quality can you put into one? What, what, you know, differentiates one from the other? That's why it's, to me, it's about making billet sets and making them look nice and, and be extremely high quality. So yeah. tell me, is there something that you see, uh, that's going to be a principal driver for, for the, the AR 15 world? Because, I think you've touched on it a number of times tonight, just kind of in a different way each one, that we have so many manufacturers, there are so many competing products. You're not trying to reinvent the wheel when you get into this space, but you have to differentiate yourself. What are the things that you think are going to separate a successful company in the next 10 years from everybody in the pack? To me, uh, it's about efficiency um, you know, manufacturing efficiency, you know, quality, you have to maintain your quality. You can't get so big that your quality goes down the drain. And I, I can see how it can happen. And I've seen it happen. You have to make so many parts so fast and people overlook things. You got to have processes in place. Um, you got to have the right personnel. Honestly, that's one of the biggest challenges is finding the right personnel to, to help you along the way. Cause I can't do it all myself. I'd love to. I'd love to do everything myself. I can't, you know, right. so you got to have good people behind you. You know, we got a pretty good team going now and, uh, we're, we're just, we're always looking for, for good quality people that want to be part of the team. So is there anything that we haven't asked you tonight that you'd like to tell our listeners about? Um, no, I mean, we've cut, we've touched on a lot of things. I, I just want, you know, the listeners to, to understand who we are as a company and, and what we kind of stand for. You know, our, our logo is quality through precision. Um, and that's what, that's what we strive for is quality and precision and everything we put out. And at the same time, having an aesthetically appealing and functionally, you know, function and form and nice products, you know, and we have people that give us suggestions on things. And I'm not one of those guys. It's like, Oh, you don't know anything. I will honestly look at somebody that suggests something to me. And, and think about it. And if it makes sense, then it makes sense. If it doesn't, then, you know, it's, it goes right out the window. Well, so, um, where can our listeners go to buy your products or find out, um, who, uh, are in your dealer network? So we have some of our bigger dealers listed on the site, jlbillet.com. Um, you know, sometimes we have products out of stock on the site that dealers have in stock. So you, you know, you, if we don't have it in stock, you can check with our dealers. Um, again, we don't have very large distribution set up yet. 
Um, we are looking, you know, to get some larger distributors going. Um, but again, our brand isn't that well known. So, and it's high priced items and, and people that don't know us are kind of taking a chance on our products in, unless they read our site and see all the reviews. Cause we have nothing but killer reviews on all of our products and those are not filtered at all. We do not filter the reviews on the website. So there, what you see is what, what we get. And in terms of the demand on your products, um, are you thinking that, that consumers, customers would be looking at longer than usual kind of, uh, I guess lead times or are you, are you thinking that you guys are getting stuff out on a fairly regular basis? They just need to be watchful and mindful. Right. Yeah. They, they definitely have to be watchful. I mean, we, you know, I think on Monday last, no, this Monday we had, uh, 30, we just got a batch of 30 uppers off the machines and of the 308 and they were gone like the next day. And, you know, we, we've got more coming, you know, we're machining more and getting them going through, but yeah, it happens fast. You know, we're trying to build stock, um, hand guards. I would say if they're not in stock, they'll be in stock within two to three weeks. Typically that's usually the, the lead time on the hand guards. Um, if they're out of stock. You know, I was looking at your handguards and for purely selfish reasons because I, I'm interested in swapping out one on a rifle of mine. So tell okay. me, do your handguards, uh, do you uh, design them to slip uh, suppressors underneath the handguards? So it, I, we are going to develop ones that you can. On the 308, yes, you can get a suppressor under there. Uh, on the 5.56s, the, you know, the inside diameters is uh 1.62 so it's pretty tight or excuse me it's 1.362 so it's pretty tight in there um so it, you can't really get one in there and then again that's one of those things that that's on the plate for for uh you know getting new product out there we just you know we don't know if they're going to sell that's one of those things are they going to sell we well, don't I th- know i think you'll sell one i'll, I'll hang, on, hang on hang on wait what's what's the suppressor again yeah I think exactly. mine's uh, 1.5. Yeah, so that would fit in our 308 handguards. Well, good thing it's a 308 suppressor. Nice. There you go. So, you know, Jimmy, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. And, you know, you look like you have just an amazing lineup of very, very just well-designed, you know, uh, the aesthetics here are amazing. And, and you know, you, you don't see that everywhere you go. Um, but I appreciate I, it. they're here in spades. And so um, I would encourage you listeners to go out and check out JL Billet at their website, uh, jailbillet.com. And, um, you know, just stay mindful and watchful and uh, snatch up the, the products as they come out because it looks like they're moving pretty darn quick. So uh, Absolutely. Jimmy, we uh, usually spend the the next moment of our show going through some feedback. We understand that you have a life to get back to, and uh, we appreciate you giving us some time. But if you'd like Absolutely. to hang out with us and you know BS, then that's all the <laughs> that's just as well as uh, also. So um, if you want right. to go ahead and, and and take off, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll uh, have you on as uh, as soon as you can break free from the latest rush of demand that's come out yeah i I appreciate you guys having me uh honestly i do um 
you know, I, I wish I did have a little bit more time, but I, I do have a, a baby to get back to and it's a little bit late at night. So, um, again, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys listening and, uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Jimmy. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Bye. Take care. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think that was an outstanding, uh, uh, look at jail billet. Uh, I do, I do seriously recommend having you go out there and take a look at their site. There's some really great things. So that being said, and, and as in addition to their website, I also, you know, they, they are on the other social media platforms. You, you can find them on Instagram. Um, I did not check Twitter. Unfortunately, I don't really mess with that. But, um, if, if you're kind of a, a picture based person, they are on there as well. Um, everything, everything that's on there is awesome. So, well, Chris, why don't you start out reading our first piece of feedback tonight? Absolutely. Uh, feedback says, Hey guys, I found your podcast a few months ago, as well as a few other firearms radio podcasts. I enjoy the humor and banter mixed in with great information. I just received my first tax stamp and now have my Daniel defense Mark 18 or DD Mark 18 in my safe. Um, Thanks to your Aero Precision interviewing, I just ordered the Aero Precision Stealth Gray Builder's Kit for the starting point of my very first complete build. And he's also hoping to win the M5. Um, keep up the good work, and I'm looking forward to starting my first build. Eric Leonard. Eric, um, I'm not 100% sure. I do know that our drawing... Um, for the M5 is due to come up uh, very soon. Um, I, I believe the that there is um, it's already closed. Can you confirm that for me, Reed? What's that now? The the M5 drawing is that already closed? The entries? It has, and we're waiting for our um, uh, team of uh, highly skilled uh, uh, name drawers to. You know, audit and reconcile their drawings so that we can have a, an appropriate announcement. So that basically means that I'm going to have to ride JD uh, like a stick pony until he gets that taken care of. Gotcha. But, um, you know, I think that uh, it's probably time to, to let you guys know that uh, if you haven't been listening for a while, we've uh, started a uh, new program. Uh, we're trying to uh, basically... Uh, Leverage the show into uh, a new space, uh, trying to improve our production quality and uh, really provide opportunities to, you know, dive into more thorough shows uh, in ways that give you, the listener, more access to the information and uh, the industry that um, has basically put us where we are today so that um, we can really kind of fulfill the the ideal of what it was that caused us here at the AR-15 podcast to get started. And so I want to ask you if you will come and visit our pledge page at uh, firearmsradio.tv to support the show by investing uh, in us so that we can invest in the equipment and uh, systems that will allow us to, you know, create that leverage and then, you know, uh, really give us the opportunity to springboard from that and create better shows with 
more content, more quality, more information uh, delivered to you like we've been doing for 183 episodes. I can't even believe that at this point. Um, and maybe we'll be able to do a 183 more, uh, which would yeah. be shocking because I think the prediction was is uh, I'd be able to get 10 out of me before I'd run out of things to say. So I don't know what that says about me. In any case, um, we really would love your support. Uh, we do appreciate uh, all of you, the listeners. Uh, we come back every week because we really feel strongly about being able to share what we know and share what you know uh, among ourselves and among everybody that uh, contributes and uh, has become part of the fabric and uh, kind of the tapestry of what it is that we've got here. So with that, um, we'll move on to our outro, our exit, and uh, let you know that you can send us questions here at ar15.podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we ask you to subscribe to our show uh, at iTunes or on Stitcher or one of the other podcast delivery mechanisms. And... We ask that when you are there that you give us feedback because it is that feedback that allows the show to be available when people are searching for our kind of content. The more feedback, the better we show up in those searches. Mm-hmm. Um, we also want you to share your pics with us on Instagram at, at AR15 dot, or actually at AR15 podcast. And you can tag your pictures with Hashtag AR15 podcast. So follow us also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash AR15 podcast. And we would invite you to check out the other great podcasts on the Firearms Radio Network. Uh, we have a lot of outstanding content uh, out there for all of you to uh, seek and listen. And we really encourage it. You can also uh, go to our Brownells affiliate link to help support us. And Brownells is there for you for all of your AR-15 parts. And we want to remind you to use Amazon for all those things that Brownells doesn't sell. So with all of that, we would like to wish you a good week. Thanks for listening, and we will see you soon. This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv.